The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. The enemy we have to face down is inflation. You can't overstate how much a short-term mindset dominates Westminster. The cost of living crisis is not going away. It's very real for people. We've got to focus very much on the things that will really bring back growth. The UK has certainly been a very strong supporter of Ukraine from the outset. We have to stay the course to make sure inflation falls all the way back to the 2% target. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Welcome to the programme. Now, when I couldn't sleep last night, um, I'm wondering now if it was perhaps because my ears were burning. Now, our podcast got a bit of a mention by none other than the leader of the House of Commons, uh, Penny Mordaunt, last night. It was at the Parliamentary Press Gallery's summer reception, as reported by The Spectator, borrowing from a well-known Yes Prime Minister sketch and running through what is admittedly a crowded field. She said that while other political podcasts may be for those who run the country, those who fail to run the country and those who ought to run the country, ours, she said was listened to by those who own the country. That is the best backhanded compliment I have ever received. <laughs> <laughs> Top Thanks, Lizzie. Penny. Top Lizzie Burden trumps You're welcome any time if you'd like to come join us on the programme. And your sword. <laughs> Indeed. It sounds like Penny Morton's speech was actually quite, quite a hoot if you, if you read it. It was quite amusing. I've apparently got them rolling in the, in the aisles. Not oh, just well, talking about us. Very good. Uh, well, definitely uh, one, two that we all wished we were at. Um, looking, though, at some matters a bit more gloomy that were expected to come up in Prime Minister's questions this morning. Of course, the latest inflation numbers, sharp intakes of breath all around at about three minutes past seven, we eventually got the numbers um, from the Office of National Statistics. So the headline inflation didn't slow down at all in May. 8.7% is where it remained. Core inflation, which doesn't count food or energy, actually increased to 7.1%. That's the highest in 31 years. Yeah, because it was only a few weeks ago we expected the Bank of England perhaps to take a pause like the Federal Reserve has in the US. But now the debate is whether they will raise by 25 basis points, a quarter of a point tomorrow, or by 50 basis points, a whole half a percentage point. Yeah, so it's a tricky one. Uh, for the BOE. Really difficult because we had research from Bloomberg Economics earlier in the week saying that if rates go to 6%, as you say, markets are pricing for that fully now, then it would cause a recession here in the UK. So not only is priority number one for the government going badly, so is priority number whatever about growing the economy. And at the same time, you've got the debt to GDP ratio over 100% for the first time since 19, the 1960s. Let's listen into Prime Minister's questions and Keir Starmer. Comments about the Windrush generation who've contributed so much to our country and to the armed forces in this week and all weeks. Um, and Glenda Jackson's passing leaves a space in our cultural and political life that can never be filled. She played many roles with great distinction, passion and commitment. Academy Award winning actor, campaigning Labour MP and an effective government minister. We will never see talent like hers again. Mr Speaker, one of the Prime Minister's own MPs says Britain is facing a mortgage catastrophe. Does he agree with her? Mr Speaker, can I start by joining the Honourable Gentleman in his uh, tribute to Glenda Jackson? Uh, And Mr Speaker, it's also right 
that we do support those with the mortgages, and this is why the absolute right economic priority is to halve inflation. Because inflation is what is driving interest rates up, inflation is what erodes people's savings and pushes up prices and ultimately makes them poorer. Now, this is why, a long time before I had this job, I highlighted the importance of tackling inflation. It's why that I said it is never easy to root out inflation, but we will take the difficult and responsible decisions to do so. It's an approach that the IMF has strongly endorsed in their words and describing our actions as decisive and responsible. Mr Speaker, I realise the Prime Minister spent all week saying he doesn't want to influence anyone or anything. It was certainly keeping to that with his answer. He, he knows very well the cause of the mortgage catastrophe. Yeah. Yeah. Thirteen years of economic failure and a Tory kamikaze budget which crashed the economy and put mortgages through the roof. So will the Prime Minister tell us how much the Tory mortgage penalty is going to cost the average homeowner? Well, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, as, as ever, the honourable gentleman isn't aware of the global macroeconomic situation. But let me do. But substantively, substantively, well, substantively, what I what, let me tell him and the House what we are doing to support those with mortgages. We have deliberately and proactively increased the generosity of our support for the mortgage interest scheme. We've also established a new FCA communal duty which will protect people with mortgages, for example, moving them onto interest-only mortgages or lengthening mortgage terms. And we have spent tens of billions of pounds supporting people with the cost of living, particularly the most vulnerable. But that is the difference between us, Mr Speaker. While he is always focused on the politics, we are actually just getting on and doing the job. Let's test that because the, the question he refuses to answer, he actually knows the, the answer to this question, is £2,900 extra. That's the cost to the average family of the Tory mortgage penalty. Now, he was warned by experts about this as long ago as autumn last year, but he either didn't get it, didn't believe it, or didn't care because he certainly didn't do anything. And when I raised this a couple of months ago, he had the gall to stand at that dispatch box and say he was delivering for homeowners. Yeah. How is an extra £2,900 a year on repayment delivering for homeowners? Yeah. Well, so, Mr. Speaker, now let, let's, just, let's just look at the facts. Let's look at the facts. Because he talks about interest rates. He talks about interest rates. Perhaps the honourable gentleman could explain why interest rates were at similar levels in the United States, in Canada, in Australia and New Zealand. Why they're at the highest level in Europe that they've been for two decades, Mr Speaker. That's why it's important that we have a plan to reduce inflation. But in contrast, what do we hear from the honourable gentleman? He wants to borrow an extra £28 billion a year. That would make the situation worse. He wants to ban new supplies of energy from the North Sea. That would make the situation worse. And, and he wants to give in to unions unaffordable pay demands. That would make the situation worse. Mr Speaker, he doesn't have many policies, but the few that he does have all have the same thing in common. They're dangerous, inflationary, and working people would pay the price. Seriously? Sorry? I don't think we need any more, do we? No. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, I think the Prime Minister has a keen interest 
in the mortgage market in California, but I'm talking about mortgage holders here. And whilst his government is consumed in law-breaking chaos and division, working people are paying the price. This morning, I spoke to James in Selby. He's a police officer, working hard to keep people safe every day. The Tory mortgage penalty is going to cost him and his family £400 more each and every month. That's nearly £5,000. He told me this morning, they may not want to hear this, he told me this morning that they've decided to sell their house, to downsize, and he's just told his children they're going to have to start sharing bedrooms. Why should James and his family pay the cost of the Prime Minister's failure? Well, Mr. Mr. Speaker, I hope when the Honourable Gentleman was talking to James, he explained that his economic policies would make James's situation worse, Mr. Speaker. And it's not just... It's not just me saying that, Mr Speaker. The Independent, the Independent Institute of Fiscal Studies says his policy of never-ending debt and borrowing would damage James because it would increase inflation and drive up interest rates, leaving James and everybody else in this country poorer, Mr Speaker. The IMF has said that our plan prioritises not what is politically easy but what is right for the British people. That is what responsible economic leadership looks like, Mr Speaker. James and his family will have been listening to that Prime Minister. And their plight should keep them awake at night, because over the next few years, 7.5 million people are going to be in the same boat, all paying the Tory mortgage penalty, month after month after month. The situation is so dire that repossessions are already up 50%, a total betrayal of the idea that if you work hard, you'll get on. So what's the Prime Minister going to do to make sure more families don't lose their homes? Mr Speaker, I know he's reading from his prepared script, but he failed to actually listen to the answer that I gave. I did did actually spell out in detail what we are doing, Mr Speaker. We've increased the generosity of support for mortgage interest scheme. We did that proactively in advance. We've also established a new FCA consumer duty that will protect borrowers, for example, by allowing them to extend their mortgage terms or switch to interest-only mortgages. And we have spent tens of billions of pounds supporting households with living costs. Those are the practical steps that we are taking to help James and other families who are facing these situations. But what I would say, because he mentioned mortgage arrears and uh, repossessions, I am pleased to say, Mr Speaker, they are actually running at a level today that is below when we entered the pandemic, Mr Speaker, because of the actions that we're taking. But more importantly than that, perhaps, Mr Speaker, is that they are also running three times lower than the level we inherited from the last Labour government. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, I'm sure from the vantage point of his helicopter everything might look fine. But that's not the lived experience of those on the ground. After 13 years of economic failure across the country, people are paying the price of uncosted, reckless, damaging decisions by the Tory party. And even now, as mortgages go through the roof, the Prime Minister is planning to wave through honours and peerages for those who cause misery for millions. What does it say about this government that while working people are worrying about mortgage hike, paying the bills, even repositions, 
the Tory party is rewarding those guilty of economic vandalism. Mr Speaker, no amount of personal attacks and petty point scoring can disguise the fact that the honourable gentleman does not have a plan for this country, Mr Speaker. He comes here every week to make the same petty points. We are getting on and delivering for this country. Yes, Mr Speaker, inflation is a challenge. That's why we are on track to keep reducing it. We are reducing waiting lists. We are stopping the boats. All while he is focused on the past, focused on the politics. It's all talk. Whereas from this government and from this Prime Minister, we deliver for the country. That was the Labour leader Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak at Prime Minister's questions dominated by that inflation data that we had out this morning showing the headline rate of inflation at 8.7% leading markets to expect the Bank of England to have to hike interest rates uh, by more uh, as, as high as 6% in some cases markets are expecting interest rates to go so that would be a significant increase on where we are now. Um, and Keir Starmer very much attempting to pin all of this on the Tory party and Rishi Sunak using his uh, catchphrase of the moment, the uh, Tory mortgage penalty. Which is based on that research from the Resolution Foundation, which we reported earlier in the week, that £2,900 extra a year that people are going to have to pay uh, to when they remortgage next year. Uh, it's, of course, going to be especially painful, this inflation problem, for homeowners, which is the key Tory constituency. So uh, Keir Starmer really trying to uh, paint this as a problem for aspiration for the Tories. Yeah, but Rishi Sunak pushing back, saying uh, countries right around the world are facing uh, similar rising interest rates and saying that Labour's spending pledges would make things worse, uh, calling them dangerous and inflationary. I notice uh, Starmer referencing uh, James, a police officer Mm. in uh, Selby, also faced with higher mortgage payments. Uh, Selby, not a coincidence, of course, because that is the site of one of the two uh, by-elections coming on the 20th of July. The uh, Labour Party needing a 17-cent swing to take that from uh, the Tories. But, you know, the irony of pointing out the global macro picture is that the UK central bank started hiking interest rates first of its major peers. It's probably going to have to stop having hiking rates last and it's going to pivot to cuts even more slowly so the picture in the UK is looking worse than the US and the EU not everywhere is doing the same or at least the divergence is likely to open soon yeah the first to the hiking party and it looks like the last to leave currently based on current projections um anyway look it's interesting to see the focus that both of the leaders had on homeowners in particular you and this is a point that you make regularly when we discuss rising interest rates is that, of course, it is very bad uh, if you're someone who is affected, but it's not actually proportionately to the size of the population that many people. Yes, because most people don't have mortgages, of course, because lots of people rent, people rent from the council, people rent privately, uh, and people who have houses uh, often don't have a mortgage at all. If they've paid them off already, of course, yeah. Yes, indeed. Or they may have small mortgages. If you have a small mortgage, then you're probably not that bothered at all. And, of course, many more people are fixed than they were 20 or 30 years ago. So the number of people dropping off deals uh, each month is actually relatively small. So the pain is bad when it comes, but it does come slowly. But for those people who do have mortgages, there is 
a clamour to help the people who potentially could have their homes repossessed. And I'm hearing that there are divisions opening up within the cabinet uh, and some are really hitting that division uh, because there are more, there are people in there who want the government to do more. And yet Rishi Sunak making the point, as we're going to hear in our interview from Exchequer Secretary Gareth Davis shortly, uh, that the government doesn't want to do anything that would counter the Bank of England's inflation fighting mission. But I should say, if you are worried about your mortgage, we did a mortgages special on the Monday episode of the Bloomberg UK Politics podcast, so really worth listening back to that. You know, we've got our senior UK economist, Dan Hansen, with us in studio um, to talk to us more about what we learned from those inflation figures this morning. Dan, this might seem like a very obvious question to someone as as, uh, as intellectually um, stimulated as you over this. Why is it? Why is inflation so high? Well, look, I mean, it, it's a well-trodden path, this, isn't it? The um, the UK inflation story, but I, I must say, you know, the, the surprises are are so frequent now. It's it's it, you know, it's for forecasters and and the Bank of England is extremely worrying. I mean, it's the it's the it's the two two points, isn't it? Energy and food combining with inflation expectations that's fueling um, wage growth in a very, very tight labour market. And I think there's probably there's probably a third bit of this as well now, which is the, and the Bank of England's sort of tried its best to push back on it, but I do think the greedflation story is something that is um, potentially underestimated in the UK. Because um, you have to look through, like, what, what is really, I mean, we know that there's the point around the price cap. We know that lags, it takes longer to come through. There is the that, energy price cap. The energy, about, sorry, yeah, yeah. yes, yes, the energy price cap. We know that, we know that's a sort of a different, it works differently in the UK. But other than that, you know, how do, how do you explain this? And I think it's probably, as, as I say, it's a combination of those three factors. And it is combining to make a, a, a pretty ugly picture, to be honest with you, and particularly that core inflation number. Um, we just weren't, we were well above consensus on um, the headline number, but we weren't high enough on the on the core number. So, How much worse is it than elsewhere in Europe? And how much of it is down to Brexit? I know that is a difficult question, but... Yeah, yeah I mean, I... I don't have as much sympathy for the Brexit argument as perhaps other people. I mean, one classic example is food inflation. Um, and people have talked a lot about that driving, um, Brexit driving that higher. And there's been quite a bit of research on that. But the, the movements in Europe or Euro area, I should say, food price inflation and UK food price impl- inflation has been pretty similar. It's not been, there's not been like an obvious difference. One one of going back to the point I don't want to sort of hammer it home too hard but the point that we've I was mentioning there about greedflation and it doesn't doesn't extend just to food it extends more broadly if you look at the PPI numbers they're really positive like so that the upstream price pressure or cost pressure I should say is coming off quite significantly on food on a wider set of goods but it's just not showing up in the in the consumer prices data so that's that's a big a big worry but it's not just about food prices is it it's also about the labor market as you said which brexit has impacted it has impacted but you know there's there is just a broader participation story in the uk brexit has been part of the of course the migration story but i think um we have seen well don't, you can't miss the headlines about what's happened with migration. I mean, an interesting point there, and the, the, underneath it all, if you look at the workers that have left versus those that, or the individuals, sorry, the individuals that have left, I should couch it slightly differently, the individuals that are left versus the individuals that have arrived, 
are they, even though we've had lots of migration, net migration to the UK, are they like for like? Are they able to fill those roles that have been vacated by those that have left? You know, a lot of the migration has been um, students um, and it's not clear that there is a skills, there's, even though the migration levels have remained high, there is still potentially a skills mismatch. And that, as you say, Lizzie, plays into the Brexit story. It's very hard to quantify that, but it does play into the Brexit story, definitely. Dan, you just referenced earlier the PPI numbers. For those people who haven't been like following the figures as closely as, uh, as you have this morning, this is producer inflation, isn't it? this is factory gate prices, and, yeah. and there is potentially quite a good news story on that. Yeah, that's right. So if you look at things further up the cost pipeline, so... And it goes more broadly than producer price inflation. It goes to things like shipping costs. It's things like supply constraints and indicators that we have of those things, which really worried, was really part of the first wave of inflation, if you like, um, in the US, also in the, in the UK and in the Eurozone. All of those things seem to have come off. So, um, but it hasn't come, it hasn't fed through to the bits of the CPI basket that you would expect um, to see that, that easing pressure effects so particularly the core goods bit of the cpi basket and that's running um still very strongly and actually that's not this time round, but in previous prints that's been a big bit of the surprise like a lot of economists including the bank of england had expected that those upstream the easing of those upstream pressures to be passed on quite quickly because historically they have been but it just hasn't come through does that give us any indication as to when you know the CP- we may see a, a decent change in trajectory on CPI? I mean, it gives us hope. Uh, uh, the we'll take it. Call- <laughs> well, I'll, yeah, I'll take anything at the moment. But I mean, calling the timing of it, because clearly, and this is what we've been talking about broadly, more broadly with monetary policy, the lag, the lags in the system have changed. Um, and at the moment, the lag from lower cost pressure to uh, lower cost pressure in in factories moving into consumer prices is taking longer than expected. So it's it's very uncertain, but I do think it gives us hope that at some point we will see this come off. It could potentially come off quite quickly, but th- th- all the pieces are in place for this to fall. It's just calling it is, is very, very difficult. But the, the political question is, will Rishi Sunak hit his number one target of halving inflation by the end of the year? I'm becoming increasingly worried that whether he'll make that make that because because even even if you spoke to me say two months ago I'd be, I and we be, did and you did <laughs> and you've got me on record saying it oh he'll make that easily you know we'll, he'll undershoot it quite easily you know if we one former mpc member told me that it was like targeting that the sun shall rise tomorrow and yeah and that person shall remain nameless so it's <laughs> it's um no i mean I, and i i was sort of as confident as that you know he that turn of phrase was it's much better put than I, I would have been able to say it but you know that, that I thought was very confident in it we still think he'll just about make it okay but it's it you know it's not anywhere near as certain as it was at the time he made the pledge or even as I say a couple of months ago can we ask about what, how this kind of factors into the Bank of England decision making a decision from them tomorrow uh, they were expected to raise interest rates anyway yep. will that change oh I mean they're, they're definitely going to raise interest rates tomorrow but by 50 basis points yeah well that's i mean that's the question now isn't it i mean i i think there are sort of there are a few reasons to think they won't do that one is they appear to have shifted towards a more gradual they did this in they, they shifted their guidance in february to take out this sort of idea of moving forcefully i think without a press conference it's quite hard to shift back to that and there's also an enormous amount of tightening in the system let's not forget that we can't 
you, you have to take that into account as well. So I think there are reasons for them to move um, in a smaller step. Where I think the, if you're going to look, look for a hawkish surprise, one is on the vote. I don't think it's now going to be no votes for 50. I think there are going to be some votes for 50. And I think um, the guidance as well could well check. So they've got this guidance that links rate hikes to data surprises. They, they could tweak that um, and to signal that not that they're on autopilot with rate hikes, but it's likely that they're going to hike rates even if the data sort of comes in broadly in line with the expectations, they're going to hike rates at the next few meetings just to get on top of this problem. You had some research earlier in the week before this inflation data saying that if interest rates go to 6%, as the market now prices they will, there would be a UK recession, which yeah. would mean that Rishi Sunak wouldn't hit his target. We're talking about 50 basis point hikes. There's a very dovish member of the committee, Silvana Tenreiro, about to leave to be replaced by someone in Megan Green who's been making quite hawkish noises, actually. Do you see a half point hike maybe in August? And do you actually think that a recession may be likely? So I think if you're going to place a bet on a 50 basis point hike, I think August is probably the right time to do it. I don't think tomorrow is the right time to do it. Um, And it's possible that the signalling around the the June meetings, the the minutes tomorrow, give some sense that the bank is thinking about that. On the the point about recession, I've increased over the past sort of three of well, two or three months. I would say I've increased. Been a long year. It has. It has. No, it has. And you know, you with all these surprises, you increasingly come around to the view that the economy's essentially held up better than expected up till now, and that's been a really good news story. But the flip side of it is that inflation's held up as well and you sort of led down the path of thinking well what's how can you break this how do we get out of this and maybe the only way we get out of it and the bank of england might come around to this view as well sooner rather than later that the only way you can get out of it is by lifting rates to a point where the pain on the economy is significant enough that we do have a recession because at that point people worry about jobs they worry about bargaining for higher wages firms are less willing to pass on higher prices and all of that spiral that we talk about and worry about, it breaks quite quickly. And obviously there's a lot of fallout, but perhaps that is the only way that they will be able to get on top of this. And going to your question, Lizzie, yeah, rates at 6%, we said we think there'd probably be around a 2% drop in GDP on that, which is obviously a lot different to what most forecasters have been saying mm-hmm. up until now and what the, what the Bank of England has, has said as well. Okay, our senior UK economist, Dan Hansen, thank you very much. Now, should the government be stepping in to help people affected by higher interest rates? That's something we've been discussing with the Exchequer Secretary to the Treasury, Gareth Davies. He spoke to us on Bloomberg Radio earlier. We started with his reaction to the latest inflation numbers. Well, what we are doing is working very closely with the Bank of England to make sure that fiscal policy is aligned with monetary policy. It will take every effort to get inflation under control, but I am confident that we will do that. It's not just me. The IMF have said that they expect inflation to come significantly down by the end of the year as well and have praised the UK government for the decisive action that we're taking. Okay, why is it not coming down, do you think? Well, I think uh, month on month, there are a variety of different uh, factors. One is that we have a particularly tight labour market uh, and that, you know, uh, reference was made to other countries around the world. UK does have a tighter uh, labour market than many countries in Europe. We're also seeing... That's a Brexit issue, post-Brexit issue, is it not? 
it's not a Brexit issue. That is a, a factor of the UK economy that has been the case for quite some time. We actually have people moving here live, to live here, work here uh, since uh, the referendum and our economy is growing at the same level as Germany, for example. So I don't accept that. But I do think uh, in terms of the other factors that are driving core inflation, we're clearly seeing some of the energy uh, price rises feed into other businesses uh, as well. Um, and we have quite resilient domestic demand as well, um, which is obviously a good thing, but for, for inflation, that makes it more difficult. You mentioned about the tightness in the labour market. You've obviously got this economic inactivity problem. What are you going to do with benefits to help solve that? Well, one of the things, first of all, um, in this very difficult time, we accept that uh, inflation is really challenging for families across the country. So we have put in place a significant package of uh, support for energy bills and cost of living uh, payments. Which is arguably added out. to the inflation problem. Well, I think we've got the balance right between ensuring that families are supported through a very, very difficult time of very unusually high energy prices, while also ensuring that we are you know, fiscally responsible and ensure that we don't uh, exacerbate inflation too much. If you take the energy price guarantee, for example, the OBR have said that that will knock off about 2% of inflation. So we are taking action that will help uh, uh, hold back bills, which will, will limit inflation. So if you can step in on energy, why not with people who are at risk of having their homes repossessed? So we completely understand that it's a very worrying time for people with mortgages that are moving to higher rates. It is ultimately uh, the bank's responsibility, bank lenders' responsibility to have a duty of care for their customers and to work with customers on a borrowing plan uh, that can see them make their payments. Uh, the Chancellor will be meeting with lenders this week to press upon them the need to work with customers who are having difficulty. But the worst thing that we could do is to exacerbate inflation, to pump the system with more spending and more money, uh, that would be bad for homeowners, it'd be bad for everybody across the country. Okay, um, so is that a kind of extend, extend, you know, mortgage rates for uh, home buyers from banks? Is that what you want? In other words, extend the length of mortgages so that people have longer to pay back? What, what's the kind of, what would you encourage banks to do? Well, we're encouraging banks to work with customers uh, with uh, specific circumstances to help them pay their mortgages. It's up to the banks to make commercial decisions as to what products and terms they offer. But we would encourage bank lenders, as I say, to have a duty of care and to work with customers that are having difficulty. I know that you don't want to counter the Bank of England through mortgage support, but what more are you going to do with fiscal policy to cut inflation if that's the government's top priority? Well, as I said, we've already got the energy price guarantee to July and that that you know, the OBA have been clear that that will help hold back energy bills and help control inflation. We also froze uh, alcohol duty and fuel duty, uh, which uh, are factors as well in, in inflation, as you know. And so that will also help uh, mitigate any rises. Um, but ultimately, we've got to stick with the plan, which is to be laser-like focused on maintaining uh, responsible levels of public spending while not putting in place any policies that will exacerbate inflation beyond this point. We were just talking about the government's top five priorities, three of which are economic. Growth isn't just anemic, a recession's looking more likely. The debt to GDP ratio is over 100% for the first time since the 60s. Inflation isn't budging. How can we conclude anything other than that the priorities aren't going well? Uh, well, the priorities are uh, 
being worked on every single day in government. They won't happen overnight. They aren't easy, by the way. You know, politicians and governments get criticised all the time for taking easy routes and making easy promises. These mm -hmm. are not easy. Uh, inflation uh, reduction is not easy. Those who said it would be easy and, and inevitable clearly are wrong. Um, what we have to do is ensure that all government policies are mindful of those top priorities. Uh, and that's what we're doing. OK, um, our chief uh, Europe economist, Jamie Rush, was just talking to us earlier saying the problem is that the UK could reach a tipping point, you know, that, that we're not in the same situation, but there are definitely points where we can look back to the Liz Truss era also of kind of turmoil in the markets there's a real concern that there could be a kind of tipping point in terms of inflation is broadening out how much of a worry is that to you I think what we can provide markets and uh, families and businesses across the country is stability certainty and a plan uh, which is what we have and that's what ultimately uh, markets as you know uh, want most they want to know that there is uh, responsible decision making in the heart of government and uh, i would argue that's what's happening that was exchequer secretary to the treasury gareth davis speaking earlier to caroline hepker and me well, that's it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Walcock and our audio engineer was Marufal Hussain. I'm Ewan Potts. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.